Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege asked to speak with you uh, this morning. Uh, as Brad said, I've been part of this church for quite a while, um, but you might not recognize me because I often watch the service online on Sunday mornings. My husband, Greg, and I own property out by Sundry, so often on weekends, that's where we are. But I do uh, lead the prayer ministry that meets every second Wednesday. So if you'd like to get to know me better, come out for prayer on Wednesday because I would definitely like to get to know you all better. Now, when Brad asked me to speak this morning, I knew right away what I wanted to talk about. I have gone to church my whole I feel like this is cutting in and out. Um, I've gone to church my whole life and that is a really good thing. I've also been committed to studying the Bible for my entire life, which is also a good thing. But I sometimes feel with going Let's try this. So I sometimes feel with going to church um, all the time that it sometimes feels like I'm not actually learning anything new. Rather, I'm just being reminded of things that I already know. And I don't mean to sound like really arrogant, like I know it all. <laughs> um, but that, that's just how I feel. But being reminded of stuff is also a very good thing because we don't always get things the first time we hear it or even the second time. And Reminders and um, repetition can really just cement learning, which is so valuable when it comes to the Word of God. But there was this one time a number of years ago when I did this Bible study, and I thought, wow, I've never heard this before. It was something new that um, I had never, in all my time of going to church, I had heard. And so that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. The Bible study was on Kinsman Redeemer, and it was the best Bible study I've ever done. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Kinsman Redeemer, what is that? Or maybe you're thinking, Kinsman Redeemer, isn't that some kind of dusty Old Testament concept that really has no relevance to us at all living in 2023? And if that's what you're thinking, I'm here to tell you, no. Kinsman Redeemer is relevant. It's super relevant to us. It is a concept that demonstrates God's great love for us, his creation. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And to do that, I'm going to divide my time into three sections. First, I'm going to talk about the book of Ruth, where the concept of Kinsman Redeemer is really seen in action. Then I want to look at the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament says a kinsman redeemer is, 
and what are the qualifications of a kinsman redeemer. And finally, in the third part, I'm going to answer the question, what does any of this have to do with me? The first two parts are gonna sound a bit like a history lecture, but bear with me because part three is where it gets really exciting. So here it is, part one. I was listening to a speaker recently who said that the Bible is not a collection of individual stories, each with their own moral that tell us how to live, kind of like Aesop's fables. Rather, the Bible is one story, one big story about God's plan of redemption for all of humanity. So keep that in the back of your mind as we look at the book of Ruth. The Bible from start to finish is God's story of redemption for all people. Now Ruth is found in the Old Testament and it's one of two books in the Bible named after a woman. It occurs during the time of Judges and the Word of God describes this period like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it's a time where people are not following God's laws necessarily. Rather, they're making things up as they go along and doing what seems right to them in the moment, defining for themselves what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. The book of Ruth begins by telling us that there is a famine in the land. And so a man from Judah takes his wife named Naomi and their two sons to the land of Moab. While in Moab, the man dies, and so we have the widowed Naomi and her two fatherless sons. Next, the sons marry two Moabite women, one named Ruth, the other Orpah. Ten years pass, and the sons also die. So we are left with three widows, no children. It's a pretty sad, desolate start to the story. Now after this, Naomi hears that the famine has ended in her homeland, and so she decides to return to Judah with her daughters-in-law. And after a time of traveling, Naomi decides that the daughters-in-law would be better off in Moab, and so she encourages them to return to their homeland. Orpah says she will return, but Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi and says these beautiful words. Do not plead with me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go, and where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now these words really speak to Ruth's character. And so the two widows return to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's Ruth chapter one. Chapter two, in order to get food for herself, Ruth goes out to the fields to glean grain. My story note says about this, the Mosaic law commanded that the harvest should not be reaped to the corners, nor the gleanings picked up. Gleanings were the stalks of grain left after the first cutting. They were dedicated to the needy, especially widows, orphans, and strangers. So God in his law has provided a way for the needy to provide for themselves, and Ruth takes advantage of this. The field that she went to was owned by a man named Boaz, who noticed Ruth and asked about her, learning that she was the Moabite woman who had returned with Naomi. Boaz was kind to Ruth because he had heard of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, and so both of the widows had food to eat. Now this is all a quick, simplified version of the story. 
Naomi asks Ruth who has shown her the kindness and Ruth tells her that it's Boaz. Naomi knows who Boaz is and she calls him a close relative, one of our redeemers. Interesting, what does she mean by that? Well, let's look at Ruth chapter three. Now here's where things get a bit peculiar according to our modern day understanding. Naomi thinks that Ruth should marry Boaz and in fact that she should be the one who initiates this relationship. And so there's this unusual, I'm not sure what to call it, proposal kind of thing that happens, which involves Ruth sneaking into the threshing floor in the middle of the night and uncovering Boaz's feet. Uh, you can read all the details in Ruth um, chapter three. Long story short, Boaz says yes, he will, but there is a potential roadblock. Boaz tells Ruth that there is another closer relative who has the right to redeem Ruth. Redeem Ruth? What is he talking about? Boaz is gonna go talk to this man and see if he wants to do this. And so what does Boaz mean by this? So Boaz waits until morning and then he goes and finds this man who is a closer relative. He tells the guy that Naomi wants to sell her dead husband's land and that this guy has the first right to buy it. The guy says, sure, I'll buy the land. And then Boaz tells him if he buys the land, he will acquire Ruth as his wife as well. Now, if you're not at all familiar with the Old Testament, you might be thinking, buy a piece of land and acquire a wife in the process. How does that work? Well, it all has to do with kinsman redeemer. And so stick with me and I will explain. But back to Ruth and Boaz. The unnamed closer relative does not want Ruth as his wife and so he does not buy the land from Naomi. Notice, he is unwilling to fulfill his role as kinsman redeemer. And that's gonna be significant for us. Boaz buys the land because he's next in line to do so, and he becomes Ruth's husband. So yay, God blesses them with a son whom they name Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David who becomes the great king of Israel. Naomi and Ruth receive a happy ending to their story. So that's this lovely little story. Ruth and Naomi are both really nice ladies and God took care of them and gave them this storybook ending to their hard, hard story. But what does any of this have to do with us? Well, I'm going to get to that, but first I wanna talk about the unnamed closer relative and his right to buy Naomi's land and why buying a piece of land would include a wife as part of the, as part of the deal. This is Kinsman Redeemer. So that's part one of my message. Now to part two. What is a kinsman redeemer? Naomi said that Boaz was a close relative. Now I like to use the NASB version of the Bible, but in other translations, the word close relative is actually defined as kinsman or redeemer. The Hebrew word is gael, spelled G-A-A-L, and scripture gives specific responsibilities of what a gael or a kinsman redeemer is to do. First, in Leviticus 25:25, we read, if a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he sells part of his property, then his closest redeemer is to come and buy back 
what the relative has sold. So that's the first responsibility of a kinsman redeemer, to buy back land or property that a relative has sold. Now land is important to God. He has entrusted it to his people. He set the boundaries of the promised land and he divided it up among the 12 tribes, giving very specific details about how, where, what the boundaries were be, to be for each tribe. And it's really important to God that land stays within the family. So that's why he's instructed the kinsman redeemer to buy back the land that a poor relative has sold and keep it in the family. Now obviously, if a kinsman redeemer is to do this, he must have the means to buy the land. He must have the wealth or whatever else it takes to buy the land. If he's just as poor as his relative, he can't fulfill this duty and then the next in line would get the opportunity. So keeping the land within the family was so important to God that God states that if a married man dies without producing an heir, then the brother of the deceased must take the widow as his wife and the first child that results from this union will be the dead man's heir. Um, you can read about that in Deuteronomy 25. So that's why in the story of Ruth and um, Boaz tells the unnamed closer relative that if he buys Naomi's land, he will acquire Ruth as a wife as well. So that's the first responsibility, buying back land. The second responsibility of a kinsman redeemer is to redeem family members. Scripture says, now if the means of a stranger or foreign resident within you becomes sufficient and a countryman of yours becomes so poor in relation to him and sells himself to a stranger, um, to a stranger residing with you, or to a descendant of a stranger's family, then he shall have the redemption right after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or one of his blood relatives from his family may redeem him, or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. So what this is saying, that if a man becomes so poor that he has to sell himself into slavery to a stranger, a close relative may redeem him. In other words, buy him back. And along with this, if a man's means become sufficient, he could redeem himself. So we have buy back land, buy back a relative that's been sold into slavery. And the third one is kind of got this dark side to it. The third responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was to be an avenger of blood. Let me explain. If someone is murdered, and you are a close relative, scripture tells us that it is your responsibility to put the murderer to death. This comes from Numbers 35 where it says, but if he struck him with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer and the murderer must be put to death. And if he struck him in a, with a stone in hand by which he would die as a result, he is a murderer and the murderer must be put to death or if he struck him with a wooden object in the hand by which he would die, and as a result he did die, he is a murderer, and the murderer must be put to get death. The blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. He himself shall put him to death when he meets him. Now if he pushed him in hatred or threw something at him with malicious intent, and as a result he died, or if he struck him with his hand with hostility, and as a result he died, the one who struck him must be put to death. He is a murderer. The blood avenger shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So, 
do you get the idea that murder is a really, really big deal to God, that it's serious? The word blood avenger comes from the same Hebrew word which is translated close relative or kinsman redeemer in other places. So if your blood relative has been murdered and you are the closest relative, it is your responsibility to avenge the blood of your dead relative. Now, a couple of things. First, do we as a society take murder as seriously as God does? Do we think that it's a really, really big deal? Are we grieved by it in the same way that God was? Or is murder something that we make TV shows about to entertain us, like CSI and Law and Order? Just something to think about. In any case, God takes murder seriously. Numbers 35, 33 says, so you shall not defile the land in which you live, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Blood defiles the land. Other translations say that blood pollutes the land. We know that land is important to God and that bloodshed pollutes the land. The land can only be redeemed by the death of the murderer, by the blood avenger, who is also called kinsman redeemer. Now, does this mean that we can and should personally avenge the blood of a loved one who has been murdered? Is that what I'm saying? No. Do not do this. You will be put in jail. <laughs> the New Testament uh, tells us that God is to be our avenger. Paul says in Romans, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So more on this later. So, to summarize, the three responsibilities of the kinsman and redeemer are to buy back land that has been sold so as to keep it in the family, to redeem or buy back a relative who has sold himself into slavery, and third, to act as the blood revenger, avenging the blood of a murdered relative. In order to do these things, the kinsman redeemer must have the means to act. He must have the money to buy back the land or redeem his relative. Second, he must be a close relative. Strangers and friends are not instructed to redeem either land or individuals, but family members are. Finally, the kinsman redeemer must be willing to redeem. In the book of Ruth, we saw that the unnamed closer relative did not want to acquire Ruth as his wife, and so he made the decision not to fulfill his duties as kinsman redeemer. Boaz, however, was willing, and he had the means, and he was a close relative, and so he fulfilled the roles and responsibilities of the redeemer. So that's the, third, or the second part of my talk. Part three, is what does any of this have to do with us? Now, I told you at the beginning that this is more than just interesting Old Testament trivia. It has everything to do with us. We all need a redeemer. Now, here's where things get personal. Let me tell you something about myself. I am a sinner. I have done things that I know I shouldn't have done, things that were wrong, but I did them anyway. I have said things that I shouldn't have said, 
things that were not true, things that were not kind, things I should have kept to myself, but I didn't. I've taken things that don't belong to me. I've lied. I've done things that have hurt other people. I have done things that have grieved the heart of God. I'm not going to go into any of the details about any of this, but I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have fallen short of what God wanted for me. I need a redeemer. God in his word says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when this verse says all, it means everyone. It means you, it means me, it means your dear, sweet, wonderful grandmother who is just the kindest, nicest person ever and who just loves you so much. She has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Billy Graham has sinned. Mother Teresa has sinned. There are no exceptions. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. So we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of how God wants us to live. We all deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. The Bible does not say that as long as the good things you do outweigh the bad things, you'll be fine. And if you're basically a good person, you deserve to go to heaven. Because honestly, by worldly standards, I am a good person. I pay my taxes, I'm responsible, I've raised two good kids, I bake cookies for the youth group. How wonderful is that? <laughs> but the Bible says that if you sin, you deserve death. It's like we have all incurred this big, huge debt that we can never hope to repay. We all need a redeemer. We need a kinsman to come and rescue us. And not only that, but Jesus tells us, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So by committing sin, we have made ourselves slaves to it, which is quite the downer thought for a Sunday morning. But it doesn't end there. There's good news. We have a redeemer. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. So let me just review one more time. What were the requirements of a kinsman redeemer? He had to be a close relative. He had to be someone who was willing to act as a redeemer. And he had to have the means to redeem. So Jesus Christ is our close relative. He fulfills that first responsibility. Jesus is fully God, and yet he also became fully human. He is our kinsman. Luke tells us, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the child will be called Son of God. 
So this verse states that Jesus was the son of God, was born of a human woman. In other words, he became our close relative. In Hebrews uh, 2.17, we read, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, I've said before that the wages of sin is death. In other words, I deserve to die because of my sins. Now, it's true that God is a God of love. God is a God who forgives, but he is also a God of justice, and God's justice says that I deserve death because of my sins. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, who became fully human, is my kinsman redeemer, and he has fully paid this debt that I owed that I could never pay for myself. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ has been made like us in order that he might be the propitiation for our sins. My sins, your sins. Now, propitiation is a word that means satisfying the wrath of God. We have all incurred God's wrath by sinning, but Jesus Christ, who calls himself the Son of Man, through his sacrificial death on the cross, has satisfied God's wrath. Now, the second requirement of kinsman redeemer is that he had to be willing to redeem. We saw in the book of Ruth that the closer relative was not willing to redeem. So what about Jesus? Was he willing to pay the price of redemption for us, each of us? And the answer is yes. Philippians chapter 2 says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So this version says that Jesus emptied himself. In the New Living Translation, it says that he gave up his divine privileges. So we have one translation that says he emptied himself, another that says he gave up his divine privileges. In either case, he voluntarily humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Jesus freely did what he had to do to fulfill our redemption. He wasn't forced, he wasn't coerced, he wasn't tricked. God the Father did not lay some kind of heavenly guilt trip on him. Jesus willingly became our kinsman redeemer. So do you see what I mean when I say kinsman redeemer is not this dusty, irrelevant Old Testament concept that should be buried in the pages of history. Kinsman redeemer is a message of hope, a message of freedom, a message of love. It's good news, but there's more. The kinsman redeemer was to redeem the land. So what does that have to do with any of us? Well, if you look at the book of Genesis in chapter 1, God gives man dominion over the whole earth. He is to rule over it. It's entrusted to him. But man was deceived, sin entered the world, 
and man lost his dominion over the whole earth. We lost the land that God had entrusted to us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole earth lies in the power of the evil one. In other words, the enemy has control of that which was entrusted to us, and we need a redeemer to come and buy back that land. Jesus Christ is that redeemer. The time is coming when the land that was given to man by God will be redeemed. Now, there's so much more that I can say about that, but time does not permit. The, the final duty of the kinsman redeemer was to be the avenger of blood. We live in a world of bloodshed. Speaking of the devil, John says, he was a murderer from the beginning. So we have an enemy who is a murderer, an enemy who wants to destroy us, but we have a kinsman redeemer who is an avenger of blood, and in the end, he will accomplish this purpose. First John chapter three says, the son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And if you remember nothing else of what I say this morning, remember this. The Son of Man appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And so, just like in the book of Ruth, where Naomi and Ruth receive a happy ending through the work of the kinsman redeemer, we too will receive our happy ending. We too will be redeemed, but in a much greater way. The works of the devil will be destroyed, all of them, and we will fully realize all that God intends for us. How excellent is that? I'd like to close with the words from the book of Job. Yet as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Saw my soul inside that fam and said that's it. Grace now. You never flake in the car winner. I just came to borrow with the go winners. Fast forward, turn to a road runner. Spirit caught me here, go get it. Share blood, gave me lemonade on his cold bending. Always see me turn always chasing after Vicky on. Took me to his finding, gave me peace and chose to cleanse me up. Now I'm testifying, know your greatness, this is a different Life been hitting hard, let's take it slow Take a walk by the river and let you flow Cause Lord, you are all I ever want You're all I ever want Cause I was lost until you found me Now I know you're all around me Nothing
need have a door. Let's have a 